0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Collective Podcast. This is going to be episode 203. I'm your host, Ash Thorpe, and this is going to be with owner and creator, direct creative director of his own company, Decagon, and principal artist at Midwinter Entertainment, Mr. Clinton Crumpler. I found Clinton's work through a, a mutual friend. I was looking and investigating which engine to use when I'm getting into building games out and all that kind of stuff. I'm using Unity right now because I'm building something really awesome with them. I'm super excited about sharing that all with you later. But um, I also was finding out some really great, amazing artists that we're using Unreal Engine for. And Clinton is a great example of just how far you can take it. Um, We talk a bit about this in the episode, but I love how he takes like an ordinary object and really exemplifies it and turns it into something really special. And that was one thing that I really loved um, when I was kind of looking at his work. And I knew I had to have him on the show because... He's also very prolific. He has a lot of things going on. We get to talk a little bit about his company that he's started, Decagon, and just the the mentality and the ideology behind it, which is really great. And I really think of it as a company of the future, which is really cool. Um, We talk a bit about photography influence and film influence and just, you know, um, the passions of working on things and at the same time, constantly learning. He's also a teacher and I'm hoping to possibly take one of his classes down the road um but it's really cool like he's very open and he shares some really great tips and ideas and it's it's just a really great conversation it was a it wasn't super long episode which is sometimes also really great because we can get right to the point and i really enjoy that but it's been um yeah it's been a really great episode and i was really it's really great to have clinton on so big thanks to clinton and um, i hope you guys enjoy this one this is going to be episode 203 let's roll You're in Austin?
1: No, no, no. So I used to be in Austin. Uh, I was in Austin maybe, uh, I want to say three years ago now. So it's quite a little while ago.
0: Okay. And now you're
1: out in Washington, you said? Uh, In Vancouver, actually. So I live, Ah. yeah, right across the border. So I moved here uh, to work with Microsoft Mm, Yeah, around three years ago. And I've been working up here ever since. And then I left Microsoft to work with uh, to work with my studio, Decagon. Uh, And then uh, we've just been getting a lot of like different clients. And then uh, I I got in contact with a studio down in Seattle. And so now I work for them uh, full time for the most part, as well as my own company.
0: Nice. Busy guy. Yeah, yeah. I like (laughs) it. Yeah. This is going to be interesting one because I love meeting people that are prolific and they're doing lots of different things and running their own companies because it's one thing to be an artist. It's another one to be an artist of business too, because that's obviously, as you know, it's, it's a whole nother art form that takes a lot of time. For sure. So I imagine balance is going to be an interesting topic to cover. Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. <laughs> Which I imagine you
0: probably have la- a lack of, I would think. So. Oh
1: yeah, <laughs> that's true. I feel like anyone that's good at anything like that always has a has a lack of good balance.
0: <laughs> yeah, of course. But it sounds like I mean, from what little I get to know of you, is that you are ad- adventurous in your like desire to learn and do new things and huh.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that's, I think that's one thing that happens a lot is people get kind of bored is that, um, uh, when they're, when you're doing any one thing, it's like you start doing it every day. You start to get kind of a little bit bored of just doing the same task over and over. And I, I feel like always trying to like push myself to learn something new, whether it be, you know, via business or art or, you know, technology or, um, some kind of technical aspect about art. I think all those things kind of just like help keep my interest and in, and in not only like, um, like 3d art, but just in general, like a day to day just keeps my interest.
0: Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I agree. That's awesome. I, um, was looking at like game engines because I'm really into CGI. Um, and I started using like Octane and started using Redshift and all these render, um, renders and I was like, Oh, this is cool. And then I, really, I, I ultimately, I want to just make video games and do games uh, at a really high level. And I was searching around and I think my buddy Anthony sent me your work and I was like, what the heck?
1: <laughs> it was the
0: king wash laundromat. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, dude, my renders don't even look this good. And I'm using like crazy GI and all this stuff, you know? So um hats off to you. Cause that was a big inspiration because when I saw that I was like, Oh, okay here's the bar this is really cool to see i i love it when i see people like yourself getting out there and like really showing us what things are capable of which is really awesome and it, i think it just helps the rest of us because so often i think we you know I, I mean i was looking at game engines and kind of like looking at well i guess you have to be very hyper stylized like you know making like mm-hmm. uh, monument valley or or inside or journey or something you know because that's kind of like the style that game engines can handle, but now it seems like they're getting better and better. And, um, with your style and your approach, um, to like, kind of, I would say it's more of a cinematic realism. I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but that's what it feels like to me.
1: Yeah. I I think that's generally what I try to aim for. I think, I think my favorite thing, um, for the most part, when it comes to creating my own art is kind of make, taking the mundane and kind of making it like hyper-realistic. And mm. so it's like just taking something really boring, like a laundromat or like a, a simple scene and just like seeing how you can like push the values or the roughness or like how, you know, things just shine or just like catch the light just perfectly. And I think that's like part, probably one of my favorite parts about creating scenes for sure.
0: That's probably what I I am most attracted to with your work is because it is that it's like what's ordinary and somewhat mundane is now becomes this like really unique um, experiment experience basically. And it's like, Oh, it's like a laundromat, but like, what does a laundromat look like when all the main lights are turned off and just a couple of the main hits, you know, and then, but you're in there and it's like, that's so cool. And the idea that it's within a game engine, which is like real time is ridiculous in my mind. So it's really cool. And again, it just goes to show because, This is something I've had on my mind for quite some time, and this is probably something that you're obviously ahead of the curve on. But I really feel that game engines and where these are going is definitely the way of the future um, in regards to just everything in general with consumption. Um, And that's something I wanted to talk to you about primarily on this podcast. is like your thoughts on the future of game engines and just the future of games, quote unquote, because they're at the point where they're not even games or like almost like experiences at this time at this point. Um, but yeah, your whole approach and thought about that would be really interesting to talk about.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. I love talking about that kind of stuff. It's always fun. What did you,
0: so you decided, I mean, this is always like a thing, right? People see the work and they go like, what did you do? How did you use it? And all that stuff. And it seems like you're an unreal, um, unreal engine guy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Mo- most of my work has been undone in real and unreal. Um, I have used like engines like CryEngine um, and unity as well, uh, to, within different studios or different contexts of different projects. Um, But I always end up coming back to Unreal. I find it most um, most art friendly with uh, a lot of the node systems that the the visual node systems makes it a lot easier to work with uh, technically. And I'm not I'm not like a like I guess I learn what I need to when it comes to like super mathematical stuff. But I'm not really that good at like math so much that I would like go out on a limb and start like just doing like you know, scripting or something like that. I'm, I've never been that good That good at that kind of stuff. Sure. And so I, I like engines in like Unreal where basically you have the ability to have full control of your art, but you still aren't uh, disadvantaged by having, a, I guess, an art, uh, art-centric art mind comparatively to a more like uh, numerical kind of mindset.
0: That's great. And I think I'm the same and I'd imagine a lot of people are as well. And I think that when we become artists in the beginning of our lives, we're usually just drawing on paper. Um, mm-hmm. and so we're not thinking about code and all that kind of stuff. So that when we approach things, we, for the most part, we're usually just kind of approaching them in a visual sense and not thinking about like, you know, Oh, like I got to do the cosine math for this, like bounce light equation or something, you know, like, yeah, yeah you know, exactly. thinking, which, <laughs> it's cool. And I really appreciate, it. I have a bunch of friends that are like that, but that's good to hear that your approach is like that too. Cause Um, that's very similar to my approach with this stuff. And it's like, I'm not super technical, but I somehow still manage to to pull off whatever it is that I need to just through like sheer willpower, I guess, (laughs) and and dumb luck, I would imagine as well. (laughs) So, um, so using these tools and this is like, and that's something I've heard a lot as well. I'm starting to use unity a bit, but primarily because I'm building a game with them. Mm-hmm. um but i I've, i I've, i haven't really entered into the game engine much yet because i'm more or less concerned about falling into that hole so but i've heard a lot from people that um unreal engine is really great and user friendly for artists which is awesome and the results show i always base a program's usability off of like the results that you see from users really because then it just mm-hmm. goes to show its usability in your opinion um and we'll talk about films here in a minute too but in your opinion Where where do you think this is going and where where are we going to be looking at in about five or 10 years from now where these engines are and stuff?
1: Yeah, I think it's 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 pretty incredible how much it's like changed in the last just even like couple years. Like I remember I remember when I first started hearing a few people mention the use of uh, Unreal for ArchViz and I was like, oh, that's an interesting concept to like start using the engine when it had all like the the really nice like light baking and everything like that introduced And I was like, oh, that's that's actually a really good use of the engine. And then now nowadays it's like you see so many like mock up and previs and like even short films done with Unreal Engine. And so it's 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 turning so much to real time because it's like there's so many situations where you as an artist and you as a company in general, like you're creating something and you you want to get something done and you also want to visualize it for your client so you know where you're at along the process. And so being able to do it real time speeds up that flow and also just makes it so much easier for not only yourself and your team, but also like the client to see where you at are at in the, in the process without having to spend like 20 hours rendering a single frame. And yeah. so when you have that ability, I feel like it, it really speeds up the just the iteration process and the ability to tweak things a little bit better to get them exactly where you want. And I find that that's it's that's becoming faster and faster. And every year there's some kind of new technology that's introduced that makes it even closer and closer to film and um, and, you know, television and everything else. And I think as that moves forward, I feel like the the bridge between or I guess the difference between film and, uh, you know, real time game engines is I feel like in the next five years is going to close pretty dramatically. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like we're getting pretty close. Like, uh, I don't know if you saw that new the the new RTX um, the real-time reflection stuff.
0: I don't know. I mean, look it up. RTX real-time reflection.
1: Yeah, so they just came out with a few different... uh ray tracing or that, reflection? Yeah, the ray tracing stuff. Yeah, yeah, the ray tracing reflection stuff. It's it's really cool, and it's just... Um, I know uh, Unreal's starting to integrate a lot of it, and I'm sure Unity and CryEngine are going to be integrating a lot of it too. Um, and I know only a few video cards at the moment can handle it, but just seeing that, and, and it's in uh, its usage and like, you know, a lot of games that are coming out just now, it's, it's so quick that something will happen and it'll be like something like as simple as that, or like, you know, um, uh, I guess like dynamic, uh, GI or something like will come out and it, it only takes about a year before the industry like is like completely in love with that, that, that process or that, um, I guess that, t- uh, technical or creative workflow. And then it just happens and then everyone's using it. And then I feel like each time that happens, we're progressively getting closer and closer to being, you know, on par with real time films or like our films in general.
0: Yeah, it's getting crazier and crazier. I think once the calculations can can work itself way out and then the science mm-hmm. and the technology can merge, then it'll just allow, allow us creatives to really push the boundaries because, yeah, it's pretty insane. That that was pr- I think I'm looking back at it. That was probably the one of the last um, the RTX card technology and all that stuff. That was one of the last big moves. And yeah, like you said, I agree. I think it's going to be definitely something to consider in the future um, in regards to just something that, not replacing, but it's something that is going to definitely take stage um, in regards to like, oh, instead of watching a film that was made in film, we're going to watch like a short film that was made in a game engine and it won't be uncommon to watch it in say the the big screen. And even more importantly, like at home, interactive you know not even as a game per se like you won't have to have a console but like you can play it on your ipad or something you know Mm -hmm. kind of like i would imagine kind of like um like black mirror you know like the latest black mirror episode which is kind of like choose your own adventure i think that the gap is going to really be blended and especially when i see artists like yourself and what you're doing because oftentimes i think the inclination with this stuff is to like make like a I don't know. I forget what they're called, like World of Warcraft kind of character or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, but like yeah, when, yeah. You, when you go out and like the King Wash laundromat reminds me of obviously like Darius Kanji's DOP work on like Seven or like um, or Fight Club. It kind of has that that feel, which I imagine is probably an influence. Um,
1: definitely. Yeah, there's there's definitely a few um, screenshots I took from uh, Fight Club that I really liked. Just the just the general lighting. There was even a laundromat scene in that movie that I really liked a lot of the overhead lights that you're getting like the, with just shadows casting on characters and downward on different assets. Yeah. Um, and I think that those kind of things, like I think what's interesting too, is that like a lot of those, those films influence the lighting and the direction of, of, of a lot of games in general today. And so I, I think that also helps, um, I think they impact each other in, in really interesting ways. Like I think one really cool st- uh, thing that's happened more recently since I moved to Vancouver, I met a friend here and he works uh, in unity primarily, but he works uh, in unity and works with film producers and makers. And basically what he does is he um he mocks up the scene for them in real time, and then basically is able to connect the um, the film, the view that the the director sees in mm. in the, with the characters, and integrates that back into Unity for a quick previs. Yeah. So basically, the the director can quickly see like, oh, I can see where the characters are going to be in the scene, how the shot's going to be relatively composed with these blockout structures and everything like that. Yeah. And I I'm not just like kind of shooting in the dark, whereas like you know, like probably like the first, uh, the first redo of the new star Wars and stuff like that. I'm sure George Lucas is like, I just green screen things back here and I have no real clue how it's going to look when it comes out, you know, <laughs> there's a
0: beauty in that too, but yeah, yeah I know. for
1: sure. Like you definitely have to have an artistic eye to be able to like like picture it in your head for sure. But I think these kind of tools are also helping filmmakers in general, making better films, which is kind of interesting that games are now influencing films, just like uh, films are influencing games.
0: Yeah. And I think it's the, 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 what we're talking about is the line is, is thinning basically because as things um, progress, the line between technology and usability is going to totally thin too. You talked a little bit about an artistic eye. Is that something, because like this is always a a debate or a topic too. It's like, you know, is talent given at birth or is it something that's learned? Is there such a thing as talent or, you know, what, what's your thoughts on that? You know, being talented or does it matter? And, and can you learn anything?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's tricky because I feel like at first when I first got into school and then went through um, like the uh, like graphic design and animation, all those kind of things. When I first started, I was thinking like, oh, it's something you either have or you don't like. It's, a, it's just something like you, if you don't have it, you just will never get it. But then as I've taught uh, as a teacher, I've realized that might not necessarily be the case because I find that a lot of students. I think it's how receptive you are to uh, understanding the craft and taking feedback. If you're I think if you're. If you have a, a general eye for anything, I think it's always more helpful than if you're just like going into it blindly and you don't have that kind of creative knack. But if you're really passionate about it, I find that a lot of students that started a class with me or I saw in another class and they would have started and, and they weren't really that far along artistically, or I wouldn't have I wouldn't have picked them out from a, a you know a, a bunch of people that were presenting portfolios to them. I, I wouldn't have presented them and said like, oh yeah, I can tell this guy's or this girl's going to go far. You know, it, they've somehow like taken the criticism and the feedback and they've used it more positively and they've they've reacted to it better than I feel like some other students that might not have like I guess not really cared about the criticism as much and so I find that it's to me personally I think it's about half and half I think it's half what you're you're kind of born with and then how you you know react or how you I guess like develop that skill set and then half it's about how you absorb things around you and artistic uh, influences around you. Because like, I feel like a lot of artists, like say, like, um, like say for instance, like, uh, like Dolly or Picasso, or any of those like traditional, like old school artists, like a lot of those guys, if you see their work when they first started compared to their work, when they were in artist communes or with other artists or, re- or you know, receiving a lot of feedback from their peers, I feel like it dramatically increases in their ability. And yeah. so, they might have been born with this particular set of skills that they firmly understood, but because they were they were reacted to the criticism well and they they understood what was lacking from their art form and they enhanced that as they went move forward. I feel like that's really what made them like really talented artists overall.
0: Hmm. That's an interesting point. And I think. To add to that is, is is the same essence of my biggest growth would happen when I was either working at a studio surrounded by really great people or being a teacher as well. And also being taught. I think those are always those significant moments and the moments of like complete discomfort as well too. Cause you're just like, for ah, sure. you know, so yeah. Cause for me, like a lot of times with like entering into CGI, it was something that I wasn't really keen on. I was more keen on just more like the drawing part, but I just look at the future and I definitely see that the future value is going to be in people like yourself or people that are able to wear many different hats and manage to like do many different things and facilitate many different roles and also be thinking about the future and the usability of these things as a consumer and as a creator too. So, but
1: Yeah. And you, you're speaking to the, the, the whole idea too about like um, discomfort. I find that those are the really um, like, tried and true moments of any artist. I feel like as soon as you get into the industry or into a job or into a contract or whatever, it's that moment where you feel that discomfort of like, maybe I really don't. It's almost like that imposter syndrome. Like maybe I don't know how to do this or maybe I do. It's, it's how you overcome that. I think that is really the most um, challenging, but also the most um, growth enhancing, like uh, uh thing that can happen to you as an artist. Because when you're in school, like you're kind of like nurtured, but you're not really like pushed off a cliff. But then when you get out into the industry and you get into that first job that you're you're working with other peers and you're like, you know, trying to figure out something that you've never done before. I feel like that's where you really get your growth spurt as an artist and understanding the craft a lot better. Yeah,
0: definitely. And I think a lot of what you're saying is is because you're not living in a vacuum and you're willing to like be surrounded. And sometimes one of my inclinations is I don't want to hear what other people have to say, you know, and that's mm-hmm. a problem. Yeah. Cause I'm like, oh, yeah, I know, and this and that, and that's like, the, <laughs> that's the ego, you know, like, yeah. but the ego can be very deceptive and can be destroying obviously because it can cause a lot of problems. But, um, but I think it's a good balance of two, both, but I like your outlook. I think it's really great and definitely aligns with what I agree with as well, because it's like, it's a matter of really a, a combination of things. And I think that it usually just comes down to your raw curiosity and desire to learn and grow. Um, and those, those, the curiosity and the desire is when you have those two combinations together, I find to be like the magical combination. And then I look at that and refer reference to like, um, Da Vinci and stuff. Cause I studied him quite extensively. And the key thing that I learned from him was just like, um, constant curiosity and mm-hmm. then constant drive to fulfill your curiosity with your own answers. Um, and that comes from like learning from other people and the desire to kind of progress that way. So,
1: which is, yeah, so for sure. And I think also speaking to that, I think, yeah, the curiosity thing is a big thing because most of the time you'll find that, uh, any good artist is not only interested in what they're, what they're doing as an artist, but also like other forms of art or other forms of expression or other ways to do different things. And, And you find those are the more, um, I guess, like, intellectually advanced artists because they're they're not only thinking about just like the the how do I get from A to Z in this thing I'm doing they're thinking about like the I guess the holistic approach of art the art form in general which I think is is what also makes a really good artist moving forward
0: yeah you're right I agree yeah that's a really good point too yeah art is such an interesting thing it's something that I constantly think about and I also think about myself like where am I at in the spectrum and how am I doing and how can I better myself and how can I learn more and that's like I think that's why um, seeing your work is really a big influence on me because it was cool to see um, your approach because for me it's like coming from film and really love cinematography and all that kind of stuff and being keen on the look of things. That was always my big concern with games is they always just looked like games, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like when I'm looking at your work, I'm like, it's really threading the line, which is really great. Um, which is really cool. And it's something that I think is a, it's a unique approach um, that, I hope becomes more of a trend because it would be cool to see this happening. And there's, there's, there's obviously a couple other guys and that are doing this stuff too, but um, it's just really cool to see that. Is there, are, are there a few games that are not games, but films that you grew up on that had a deep influ- impact on you?
1: Um, Yeah. I mean, like I liked a lot of films that probably a lot of kids growing up in the early eighties, like liked, like, you know, like aliens, Terminator, uh, those kind of films. Sure. Um, I think those films definitely influenced my, um, I guess my, I guess my love of the eighties and like all things within that kind of spectrum. But I, I think more artistically, uh, films that I've, I've kind of really come to like, are like films like, um, Eternal sunshine of the spotless mind is a really good one that it's I really appreciate. Movie. Um, and I'm trying to think of a few others, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. I just love the cinematography in that film. So good. And it's, yeah. It's just like every, every shot, it's just, just like a, just, it's so masterfully composed. It's like, it's this breathtaking. So I, I love, I love films like that. And I like, like with eternal sunshine, I think it's the same way. It's like a really artfully compo- composed film. And I think what also makes it interesting is that I, I like, a, I think films that most um, I guess like hit home for me um, is uh, is films that somehow find like this like color grade this composition and this the music that all ties in together that that really sells like a perfect package, and just really takes you on like a, a roller coaster of emotion throughout the entire film. With it, even if they were, the characters are speaking or not, like I, I like I just love like when the colors and the sound just make so much of a of an impact on you watching the film that it, it's it's already prepped you for the acting to begin. So I think I think things like that are really just like powerful in general. Another movie I really like with with in regards to that is a. Uh, American hustle. I feel like the, the costume design and that the, the shots in that are really good. The, the all the music is great. And I, yeah, I just, I just love like period movies like that for sure.
0: That's cool. I don't think I've ever seen American hustle, but I definitely love eternal sunshine. It's probably Ganju's best film in my opinion. And for sure, definitely so would good. Agree. And uh, yeah, there's just something about that film and how it kind of ties together and the feelings that it evokes are insane. And then, yeah, the good, bad, the ugly is like one of Sergio Leone's, like probably his best film in my opinion, too, because it is like it's it's like a study in cinematography at its master level, too. And you can just tell the years of experience behind the camera in that film. And it's Definitely. just the pacing, you know, so yeah that's it's a, yeah that's a good one it's crazy um have you watched any of uh um Clint's latest work because I mean he's went off to make amazing films himself which is crazy. yeah what's as well. it
1: what's it what's I, I think I saw what's it uh Turismo or yeah, Gran Turismo yeah yeah. yeah yeah I saw it's that more film. recently and, and that was really good I enjoyed that I yeah. feel like um good story yeah what was the one there did he I'm trying to think the Ridge one he did more recently too is it uh was it Hacksaw Ridge did he do that one or was that someone else I'm trying I to remember think that was somebody else let me look it up see. And Eastwood.
0: Yeah, he's been doing, he's been so active, but it's awesome to see that because yeah. oftentimes it's it's so hard for actors to break that barrier um between things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um I don't see Hacksaw Rage. Let me look up Hacksaw Ridge. Let's see saw Ridge yeah there's been is there any other films that modern day films that you enjoy oh that was a Mel Gibson director
1: Mel Gibson that was yeah yeah, I still like that one I thought that one was really good as well yeah Um, it was good uh I would say another film that really surprised me was Get Out like I was I was incredibly surprised that that was such a good film like I feel like a few of the um the what's it called like the um the i guess the symbolism a little bit of it was a little over the head at times sure but but i feel like overall like the film was really well done like i feel like the story was great and like nothing was so expected that you were like oh this is going to happen obviously
0: yeah it kind of like reminded me of the approach that i see a lot with like korean films which is like breaking the western um, approach to storytelling and Mm -hmm. it's like that exact thing where you're watching you're like wait what
1: yeah uh, yeah exactly like, oh
0: this is not how we are used to seeing our films in in america where it's like the bad guy keeps going and gets away with everything and then all the good people die and you're like what this is weird you know so yeah there's definitely some really cool things there yeah that film had a lot of interesting symbol symbolisms as well too which
1: is kind of fun but um yeah. trying to think the cotton of- thing the cotton thing was spot on for me i thought that was such a great that was such a great symbolism. Like that was, that was definitely by far my favorite in that movie. Get out.
0: Yeah. There was, a, there was a lot of interesting things in that. Uh, and it was cool. Like uh, another guy and that's, I think he was in key and peel and like he went off and made his own thing, which is really cool. And that's so hard to do. And so you got a, a lot of appreciation for, for people that are able to do that and break the, the barrier and to go off and be creative. Cause you know, they're there to do that for themselves. But at the same time, it's cool because now like, they we can they can share that experience with us, you know, which is cool. And yeah. also remind us, <laughs> remind us that it's possible to um, go off and just break the barriers and try your own things and stuff too. So
1: just cool. Yeah. I feel like people like that too, that are kind of comedian based, like speaking of that, and like we were just talking about with Eternal Sunshine with Jim Carrey, I feel like folks that are that are comedians at heart and then do you know something else that's very serious i think that's such a like awesome thing because they're obviously going to be like stood up in front of like hundreds of people or millions of people to watch this film or see them you know act or whatnot and it's going to be so different than what other people have seen them do before and so i i feel like for them to be able to overcome that challenge to to switch to a more serious role makes it even more of an interesting film because you're you're just so you're you're just so uh, like myst- you know mystified and just like how are they able to like change the the pace of how they do what they do comparatively to their you know natural like comedic state.
0: Yeah, and it's a huge influence too because then you can go okay like now if they can do that for this then I could do this for my own career and exactly. so on and so forth. Yeah, you know? so exactly. It's, it's it's always great and I appreciate it when people do that definitely because it just helps the rest of the community as well. And again, it just reminds everybody like hey anything's possible and you could just do it so. Let's talk a bit about, um, so you originally mentioned you were out in Texas and now Mm -hmm. you're, um, you're then out to Washington and now you're in Vancouver. I have quite a few friends that live out there. It's very expensive.
1: Yeah. Vancouver is very, very expensive. Um, yeah. and then before that, uh, before Texas, I actually lived in San Francisco. So oh, sheesh. I, I think I've hit all the major expensive <laughs> cities except for New York, New York. Yeah. <laughs>
0: New York, yeah. And then yeah. San Diego's, uh, Coronado Island's kind of expensive as well. Yeah. Too, so.
1: It's definitely booming for sure. Yeah. San yeah. Diego's is definitely getting more and more pricey. West coast is getting, getting pretty, pretty hot and, and heavy to, to live in. Cause everything is just so expensive everywhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple little gems, but yeah, for the most part, it's kind of exploited. It's just because quality of life is people want that definitely you know, they don't want that winter year-round kind of stuff going on and just want to enjoy the weather and they also want to enjoy good times and i think that's a perfect example of like why vancouver is so big because it's the most southern and coastal side, on yeah, the west exactly. side. and that's why it's like the you know the pinnacle because the winters aren't as harsh as if you go inside or up and and it's also you're in canada so it's just it's a, I call it like the smart man's America. So yeah. Yeah. I, I also call Europe that as well. Parts of Europe, not all Europe, but
1: yeah, yeah for parts sure, of Europe, yeah, the smart man's. Yeah, it's definitely it's uh, the joke's always in Vancouver. It's always the it's the least least Canadian city in all of Canada because it's so it's so warm compared to the rest of Canada.
0: Yeah, which is why it is what it is. Which
1: is yeah, exactly. you get all the benefits of
0: being a Canadian, but like without the weather. So
1: exactly. Yeah, I have
0: a bunch of friends that are also up in Canada too. So it's a it's a rad Country. It's really cool. And it's crazy how like, it's just weird. Countries are so weird and the borderlines and the divisions of things. But um, going from America to Canada, is there any big significant things that you've noticed and changed in just your, your overall life?
1: Um, yeah, I would say definitely quality of life. Like, um, I, I'm from the South originally in Virginia and I, I love Virginia and I, I love where I'm, I'm from and everything like that. I have no issues with that, but I just think in general, like I always felt like I I didn't fit when it came to, um, I guess my ideology of, of who I was and how I felt, you know, everyone around me was equal. And just, I guess just my general feeling of how, I guess everyone should be cared for regardless of your, you know, social, you know, economical, like physical, whatever, mental well-being. all those things should be, you know, everyone should be trying to trying to help each other as much as possible in some kind of way or form, you know? Yeah. And so I, f- I feel like when I first went to Canada, when I was a kid, I was around 16, I went on a field trip um, and it was for uh, just for a French field trip. And I, I just loved it. I just loved the people. I just loved everything about like how you know, the government was run and how, i don't know i just i just really like the mood and the, and the feeling that i got from it and then uh a couple years later uh, i got the opportunity when um i was talking to a friend that i'd gone to school with and he was up at microsoft working on gears of war and he had suggested i was at bethesda at the time working uh, in austin um and he had suggested uh coming up there and i was like yeah that actually that's something i've been wanting to work on for a long time is gears of war and uh i'd love to move up to canada and so uh me and my my partner at the time um, amanda we we moved up there and it was kind of just on a whim we were just like let's just do it let's give it a try and it's definitely hard to adjust to moving to a new country there's a lot of like red tape and things you have to do when it comes to like figuring out like visa passport like all the you know healthcare stuff things like that but i think for the most part uh if any country is the easiest to move to from america it's probably canada because hmm. they're very they're very very similar in a lot of ways when it comes to most uh, processes. There's only a few things that are probably like the real, like tricky things that don't get you every once in a while. But for the most part, like it, it, was pretty seamless. And I think overall, like just since we've moved here, just the quality of life for both of us has improved dramatically. And, um, I think my favorite experience is maybe when I was about three months in, uh, I got a little sick with a, with a, it wasn't like strep throat, but it was like, a, it was a flu. That's what it was. And I, I went to a clinic and I just walked right in and they, they saw me and they gave me some medicine and antibiotics and everything like that. And they were just like, all right, have a nice day. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, wait, like, don't you need like my card or like, they're like, no, you're, you're good to go. And then I went to the pharmacy, got the medicine. They're like, have a nice day. And I was like, what is going on? This is, <laughs> this is, this is impossible. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs>
0: It's definitely not how it works in America. They're like, "Hey, your arm's cut off. Let me get your insurance card first, so okay, and then sit sit there for three hours, and then maybe I'll see you. Yeah, and then I'll yeah. charge you four thousand dollars for a pill. There you go. Exactly. It's a like, it's 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 like highway robbery, man. It's crime over here. It's crazy. It's horrible. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's it's definitely rough. That being said, I I still I still love America. I still like you know ha- I'm still proud to be an American, but i definitely think like i yeah. i like i like living in canada overall like I, I, I like the experience that i've gotten from moving up here it's called merca you've been gone too long <laughs> yes yeah, so, i'm sorry called i forgot America. we changed the name yeah
0: it's merca <laughs> we, we have we have the donald trump yeah he's like <laughs> my wife was showing me this the other day this guy say he's such a tard man it's crazy like he like was talking about like uh i don't know like he met tim apple or tim cook oh yeah he called him called tim apple. Tim apple. yeah <laughs> and he like refused that he like he, he said it it's like it's crazy the stuff he lies about it's just like man it's, i don't even want to get into it it's just he's just a waste of, of a conversation there but it's just really weird it's a weird time for the states yeah. but yeah it is what it is i guess so but um no that's cool I, I have quite a few friends that live up there and they really love it and um I could see why things like that are nice. So you don't have to worry about things and really when things really matter, you don't have to worry about them too much. You mentioned teaching, which is really cool. What what spawned that desire to teach originally? And then like do you, you're obviously still doing it. Um, yeah, I'm just curious, more or less, because teaching as an artist is a really unique thing, especially if you're doing it and you're being a professional at the same time. It's hard to juggle those two things.
1: For sure. Yeah. In, in school, I, I really liked and respected a lot of the, the teachers when I was going to the master's program. Like I, I think all the teachers I've had throughout when I throughout my schooling have been great. But I think in particular, there was like three or four teachers that I had when I was in the master's program that really um, influenced me a lot and really just challenged me to, I guess, question question my art form in general, like a lot more than I feel like I had uh, growing up and going through my initial parts of school. And so I really liked that that approach of just like, I guess not. It's not so much being like being a hard ass, but it's just really being like truthful and like really upfront about like what it takes to be a successful artist. And I feel like sometimes when you're going through like uh, undergrad or whatnot, you'll get a lot of teachers that are like, yeah, just do this and do this and just kind of go through the motions. And I feel like what I really wanted to kind of push in teaching is that I wanted to be like a realist with students and I wanted students to know like, what it requires to like become a like a, an actual commercial artist and like what kind of like uh, changes you have to make in like your lifestyle and how you go about making your art and how you have to think about art and all those things I think really just like pushed me to to want to teach because I really like I really liked working with um, when I first started teaching I did it through uh, digital tutors and that was more of like a pre-recorded session yeah. and I found that found that as I was going through those those steps to record the videos and to get everything ready I was actually learning twice as much. Uh, doing those videos that I had been just like trying to do the thing at home and doing it once and just like, you know, being done with it. So I I really enjoyed that process. And then as I did it more and more, I started taking on like individual um, like mentees. Mm -hmm. And I I found that process really rewarding as well when like something they would make would be light years beyond what I would make. And I'd be like, man, this is great. I I love being able to like influence and help students kind of reach like a higher potential and also be more realistic with themselves when they first get into the industry. And I feel like that's something that's, that's sometimes lacking from a lot of students entering into the workplace.
0: That's so cool. i want to be your student. How do I be your, one of your students?
1: <laughs> yeah. Right now, right now I'm teaching at CGMA and I uh, teach a 10 week course with them on uh, environment art and modular design. So it's pretty much like an all inclusive course for everything you basically need to know about, um, starting in unreal and then going through the whole process of creating a a large scale scene with like tileables and trims and all sorts of things like that and creating modular design. Um, And I've been doing that with them for about three years now. And uh, I run that course every quarter. So it's, it goes, uh, you know, all four seasons. And I really, I've really enjoyed working with them and really doing that. And it's great because it's about half and half. It's like a half pre-recorded and half like hands on with students. And so it's a good it's a good uh, addition to my overall lifestyle because it it keeps me interactive with like new students that are coming into the workplace and also seeing like you'll find that a lot of students that are um, up and coming that are really good artists actually will know a lot more technical and and, kind of like new tech stuff than than you do being in the industry sometimes because they're so they're so passionate and driven to like learn what's like the newest thing is because they want to get in so bad yeah. that that actually like makes you actually want to learn more as well too, to kind of keep on par with them. So I find that it it just keeps my mind like kind of fresh with them to like constantly be learning these new things.
0: Yeah, smart. Yeah, it's smart. And that's a great approach too. It's like a very humbling approach, which I think when you're humbled by things and you're able to learn, you learn the most when you do that. And So that's great. Yeah. I'd love that. I'm going to look this up. I'll try to figure it out. The The thing is I'm with unity right now. So it's, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's how it goes. It's like you're on that team and then you're on that sure, team yeah, so yeah. <laughs> and they have different approaches, which I, I wish they would all be just one program, but that'd probably be a problem as well too. So, um, but no, that's really cool. And that's cool that you're teaching and doing that too. Cause I remember teaching, there was some, uh, one of the things I loved the most is when a student would do better than I did because it would make yes. me so happy. Yeah, yeah. Or like if they would take the, the advice or the no- the knowledge that I had learned over the years and then took that and evolved it to a new level, it would make me so happy because I'm like, oh, this is so great. Like you've, and, and like you said, they're also very close to like learning all the new things and then they could teach you as well. So it's just this really good experience, you know? So and teaching while you're I think a working professional is actually something that I would encourage as well if you can manage the time because it's just like it keeps you really fresh and going too so I, th- I find it's important to do it in bur- in spurts like I wouldn't do it all the time but it's nice to do it as like a brain exercise to like really open up your reasons why because I didn't really realize how and why I did the things I did until I started teaching exactly Cause, cause once you teach you're like oh I have to explain my impulses and that's like such a weird thing you know if you think about it because it's you know your impulses come from just years of failing really if you think about it you know so that's um, very true yeah
1: you get you get so into like doing the same repetitive like muscle movement over and over that you you kind of forget why it is that you do that specific thing that you do or the style that you do or you know whatever processes your pipeline yeah. and so when you get to you do what you teach it, it you you kind of re-understand like oh that's why I'm doing it this way and that's why it makes more sense for sure
0: yeah, definitely. Are there something like so for somebody like that's listening or even myself who hasn't really ever touched a game engine, are there a couple of things that you would suggest being in the know of or understanding or prepare your mind for beforehand that you can think
1: of? Yeah, for sure. I think I think the biggest like initial questions I get from a lot of people, whether it be from like people coming from film or people just fresh into the industry is like, um, the biggest thing is they always ask is like, okay, how, how much does optimization and like, um, uh, I guess like, yeah, how much does optimization and knowing like how things work in engine, how much does that influence, uh, the art that I make? And I I think it's, it's important to know going into any game engine, like how optimization works and how to make sure things run real time. But first and foremost, I feel like students sometimes will get too caught up on that and will start to limit themselves on like how creative they get and I feel like that's a really that's a really big like downfall and so I always tell students like basically think as far as you can think out first and then think about how how like plausible that is to be able to capture within the game engine so like Examining a concept and thinking about like, how can I break these into shapes or how can I understand how best to, you know, compose the scene with as as little pieces as possible, but still telling the same narrative or a visual storytelling cues that I want to capture from a concept or an idea. And so just like just being able to kind of examine those things and just understanding like eventually getting on par with being like, okay, here's what I'm able to achieve in a game, game engine and understanding that and being like, okay, now how can I make that look as realistic as possible comparatively to, um, you know, film or whatever it is I'm trying to convey in a game engine.
0: Hmm. Good. So it's just more or less just understanding the limitations then, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So like knowing those limitations, but not, not being so caught up on them that it, it actually like skews it your, under, it. your, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's the trick. And that's, I think that's, um, That's something that, like, when I first got into CGI, I wasn't really fully aware of, like, oh, poly count and, like, all these things. I basically had to learn all these things, like, the hard way by basically just getting really frustrated (laughs) Mm because things wouldn't work or, like, make scenes that were just, like, crazy to handle or, like, just crashing everything. So, (laughs) but that's also important, too. Sometimes I find it's important to kind of fail and flail, basically, and I'm glad that I started doing it in in different programs because i hope that i'm going to be able to take a lot of the lessons i learned from cgi and rendering and doing a lot of stuff to um the same process but at the same time approaching it with video games which is kind of like knowing it, but at the same time pushing it, I guess, like you were saying. So
1: exactly. And I I feel like failure is a huge thing. Like knowing, knowing that when you fail, it's not necessarily just a failure. It's a, it's a, it's another way you've learned not to do this, what you're trying to do. And so I I feel like that's, that's a massive thing. And one of my favorite things I like to tell my students is the first video game class I took, um, after I started in graphic design and then I was in animation. And then, um, when I was in my animation degree, I decided oh, I want to take a video game course because it's something I've always been interested in. And I took my first uh, game course and I totally failed it. Mm. I, I just completely just flunked out of the class. And I was like, oh man, this is awful. I'll never be able to do games. And so like, don't don't let anything like that like deter you from what you're interested in. If you're really passionate about it, just like keep trying and eventually you'll overcome your failures with a success. And then they'll just, you know, more successes will build.
0: Yes, I agree. You've been at it for quite some time, right? You ever heard of like the ten thousand hour or the ten year kind of? Yeah, thing? exactly.
1: Yeah, definitely. The, all, the, the, the definitely, it definitely changes everything about like your perspective on anything you do artistically. The more time you spend into it, for sure.
0: Yeah. So how long have you been after after this this call? Um,
1: I'm trying to think. So this will probably be this will probably be my eleventh year. Okay. Working in yeah, working in like any kind of like uh, like digital media, games, graphic design, all that kind of stuff for sure.
0: Yeah, 10, 11 years. That's a good, do you, do you recall, this is something I think about as well. Do you recall, um, at a certain point, maybe like the third year mark or the five year mark or something where things started to start finally
1: clicking for you? Yeah, for sure. So like when I first started, I think the biggest thing that clicked for me was just like understanding, um, I think composition a lot better when I realized that composition and lighting really is, is key is the, are the key ingredients to anything looking good because i was so i was so convinced like oh i need to get these textures like perfect and i need to get this model looking perfect but honestly like composition and lighting can make can, can just like push your art so much further than most anything else i've experienced and so always like understanding that and paying attention to that at the end of the process because I, what i find is a lot of my students and also like me when I first started as well, is that I would spend like a hundred hours on some project. And then at the end I would be so worn out and so burnt out. I would just like quickly light it and kind of throw a few renders together and be like, here it is. And it's like all that time was like almost wasted Wasted. because Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because you, you, you don't even like you basically have like baked a cake and then you didn't ice it and then you want everyone to enjoy it so it's like perfect analogy what's the point when you you haven't actually finished the cake like no one's going to really enjoy it until you've like put that final touch to make it really like taste good and look good
0: yeah no i totally agree and that's that's something that i realized early on when i would get into cgi i would see all these people making these amazing assets and i had that same reaction i'm like well, it looks like shit because you didn't light it right, or it doesn't, <laughs> yeah, they're composite. You don't have an eye for composition yet. And so it would drive me nuts because I was like, man, this could be so great. And um, yeah, but it's, you know, I think it's because another thing that happens with CGI is like if you spend 100 hours on one asset and then 10 on the other, you're more, more than likely going to try and um, like secretly, unknowingly probably you know put more emphasis on the thing that took you longer although it's not important to the shot exactly. and that's Very one true. thing it's like killing off your preciousness with your work which is really key and important as well which is kind of a of a, a bummer but it's definitely something that comes along with it and you can really tell um, a, a much more mature artist when you see their approach to like okay well i'm not going to I mean, like when you see a really great thing and it's kind of hidden or you put, you see somebody put all this time and effort and then they just turn the lights off and primarily on everything except just the thing that they want you to look at. So I learned a lot of that from Rembrandt, actually, to be honest, um, his, his lighting and his paintings was one of those things. And then obviously finding and following a lot of cinematography, which leads me to asking you, are, do you do photography?
1: Um, yeah, I do some here and there. I would actually say, um, I, I, actually one of my favorite things to do is to go out with my wife cause she's, she's a photographer um, as well, but she's, she's really the one that's like going out with like the, you know, the large scale camera and like, you know, all the nice equipment. And I'm, I'm more of just like a, I like going out with her and just like to different like hikes or, you know, wherever we're at around town, like that. And like, when we see something together, my favorite moment is like, when we both see something, we're both like, Oh, that's a cool composition. And she'll take the, you know, the really nice, like professional style photo of it. Mm -hmm. And I'll take the one with my phone, but I just like trying to like being able to capture what it is or what sensation I got from that moment or that, that angle or that view in that, that, at that very moment with my, just like a simple phone. And I feel like that's really gratifying to me because it's like, it's quick and fast, but it's something that, it's exciting to me to, to be able to capture that art form really quickly like that. Yeah. And so I definitely like that this the photography in general, but I, I wouldn't say I'm like a professional grade or anything of that nature.
0: <laughs> sure. But well, that's cool that you like to do it. I mean, for me, I, when I got back into photography, it was like, it helped my CGI tremendously because it helped me see the world through the eyes of a lens, which is basically kind of what we're doing in CGI or building the games. And stuff. Sure. I mean, in games you're usually using a very wide um, focal length, is is usually like, I don't know, anywhere from like 24 to 35 millimeters, usually in qu- equivalent to film, I don't know, 35 mil sensor. Um, but it's like, I loved being able to just see the world and then let that influence <coughs> my work normally because it helps CGI so much because you're like, Oh, and because a lot of times one of our inclinations, when we make say like a texture, as we we'll put like so much bump on it because we think everything mm-hmm. has like, this crazy bump. And in reality, things don't really have that much for the most part. It depends on the material, obviously. And that's always per case. But that's one thing I realized by like looking really close at, at the photos that I would take of certain subjects. I'd be like, Oh, okay. Well, it's, it's like more subtle this way. And it's, it's actually all about like the hint of things and like building it out. And then like you said, like composition and light, if you don't have composition and light, you really have nothing. You just have mm-hmm. a thing. And then you don't have any emotion, you know? So, and if your goal is to evoke emotion, then you need to master composition and light. That's something that I was learning a lot too. So, but yeah, photography is amazing and something that I really love. And I try to do as much of it as I can because it's, it really helps <laughs> with everything. It's an expensive hobby though.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> and that's, I'm, I'm like, totally addicted. I have so many, I was just, I have like 20 lenses now. It's like stupid <laughs> so, too much, So too much, but it's, it's a fun hobby. So. For sure. Um, that's really cool though. And that's cool that your wife does it as well. And that's probably influences as well. And it's cool to, <laughs> to be able to just capture what you like when you can, um, as you go. Cause that's really cool. Um, cause I mean, even if it's a, with a phone, as long as you're just keeping your eye active and you're looking for compositions and, and yeah, ex- moments, exactly.
1: And, cause yeah, I think it makes a huge difference when you're like, you're, you, you just, just being aware and attentive to your surroundings is what is what makes so much of a difference and just like makes, it opens your mind as to what possibilities you can make within your own art with composition.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Are there, um, any photographers that you admire or, or look at as an influence?
1: Um, I'm trying to think. So like uh, one thing that inspired the laundry mat a long time ago was actually a photographer named Lori Nix. Mm-hmm. Um, she did these she would do like the these miniatures that she would create and then she would take f- um, photos of them. But the photos would be like would how she took them. It was like a, I forget the name of the style, but it's sh- she took them so that they felt like ultra realistic, even though they were miniatures. And so I really liked the the perspectives and the angles that she was able to get because it's kind of angles and like views that you you get from like a game engine camera because you, you know like within the game engine you're, you're able to basically move in the wall or out of the wall or do anything like that and it's a lot more difficult when you're trying to do something like that like on a film set and so I find that it was more comparable to like a game engine type camera for a lot of her work and so I really liked the the composition she was able to achieve with that kind of stuff
0: rad what was her how do you spell her name
1: uh, Lori Nix. Let me see if I can find her here.
0: N-I-K-S-E-K-S. Yeah, it's
1: L-O-R-I-N-I-X.
0: Photography. Awesome. Yeah, I love finding new photographers and just new artists in general. It's so cool because it's just, yeah, these are cool. They're like, yeah, these really crazy painterly dioramas.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's it's pretty impressive, like what she's able to achieve with like the diorama and like the amount of realism in it. And I I don't know, I th- I just think it's really awesome. That's just how what she's able to capture with that with the like a small diorama like that.
0: Yeah, the lighting and everything. It's like it's all about composition and lighting again. It's cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll be definitely checking out her work. That's for sure. That's really cool. It's interesting. Like it's kind of like has this weird surreal looking. Something about it very surreal, obviously. It's almost almost gaming itself. Yeah. Yeah. And the textures and stuff. Because I think um another thing that when I really got into CGI was um my error with thinking things that were were on scale when they weren't at all, you know, and like putting things to scale that were wrong, you know, because so much and so much of what you do in CGI is like about scale of texture and everything. So when you make that's what's really interesting about her work is is probably why it feels more like a game is because her texture like the 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 scale is kind of how you interact with a lot of art and games because the scale is usually just slightly off yeah in a yeah, sense exactly. where it's almost like a caricature of a reality which is interesting too so is there do you play games much or do you get a yeah, chance for to for sure games?
1: yeah yeah so I I try to play as much as possible like there's obviously like um some days where I'm like, I can't, I can't make games all day and then go play. But (laughs) when when I can, I, I definitely do like, um, I find that I am most drawn to games with either good visual storytelling or narrative or really contrasty moody work. Like I think the new Metro game looks amazing. I think it's definitely, um, probably one of the best looking games I've seen in the last like year or so. And then the also Red Dead also looked really good. I really I really enjoyed playing through that.
0: Yeah, I heard that was good. Um I actually bought a PlayStation for the like since I was like a, in high school. <laughs> I got a PlayStation 4 and I I got a chance to play Inside which was absolutely brilliant. Nice.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a fun um, one for sure. I finally
0: got to play Journey, which I another brilliant film and I have The Last of Us and Red Red De- Redemption as well on my list of games to play, but there's such an involving experience, you know? So like I got Zelda for my switch and like, it's like a part-time job. So I was like, yeah. oh, <laughs> I, I love it and it's awesome, but it's like, I'm not going to give you like 300,000 hours. It's just, I'd rather do something else with my time, unfortunately, but no, I really like those. It's, um, have you, Oh, let's see, what was I going to say? And there was a game that I wanted to see. You've obviously played um, the last of us, right?
1: Yeah. The last of us is man, like, like the compositions and shots in that it's, it's like, it's much more like a film than anything else. I think it's done so well. And yeah. I think like all the cut scenes and everything like that, it looks so great. And I, I'm I'm really excited for the new one for sure.
0: Sorry. My headphone flew off. No worries. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's cool. And I, that's, I, I'm excited to play that for that exact reason. So because of what it does and stuff, so and just like the the influence of film and how it's like threading the line and and, and connecting it, and, you, and I think with those kind of projects, you can really kind of um, see the the just the the artist behind it. That's all I really care about when I see or encounter or experience art is I want to know, like I want to feel the artist behind it. Really, you know. So, but that's just me. Working with Unreal is this something? Like, are you close with them? Do you is are they a company that um, you communicate with directly or do you talk with the devs or are you just kind of on your own or how does it work for you?
1: Sure. Yeah. So, um, uh, most, I think I'd probably say about 80% of the jobs I've had have been in Unreal Engine. So, and, um, some of the teachers I had coming in through school were also, um, uh, unreal guys that worked at epic games or you know uh in, in other forms of the engine and so i guess like keeping in contact with them and then you know working in different game studios and, and meeting some of the the uh, epic devs uh, that have come into the game studios to talk about you know the software and like usage and stuff like that um i've got to know them more and more throughout the years and um just recently i'm, I'm actually going to gdc on on um this next week on behalf of uh, epic games uh, so they invited me out there. Um, Just to um, kind of talk a little bit about my experiences with the game engine and just like how I go about using it and just like how Decagon um, as a company uses it overall as well. Um, But yeah, so like uh, so far, like every experience I've had with them has been really, really super solid. Like they're they're really good about like getting back to you with technical questions or any kind of issues that I've had. Um, I think their forums are super active, which is great. And there's always someone you know asking the same kind of question that you are you're trying to figure out. And so I think that's that's probably another reason why I'm really into Unreal is because I've never run across an issue that I couldn't like look up online on being like, oh, how do I do this? Or like, how does this work? Or like, what is this process about? Or like, why am I doing it this way and not this way? Mm. And so it's, it's really well documented. And I think that's, an, that's another really strong like part of Unreal that makes it a really powerful engine overall.
0: Nice. What does Decagon actually do? Like, what do you guys do?
1: Sure. So Decagon is a, is a um, it's an artist collective. So it's, uh, it's basically like, Uh, So it's like a group of artists that are profit sharing from uh, an outsourcing company. So we basically will make art for, you know, games, uh, short films, um, you know, previs, VR uh, titles, things like that. Mm -hmm. And when we make the art, um, all the artists that contribute are basically getting um, profit share back out based on how much contribution or uh, how much work they put into it. And so it's composed of basically uh, all different types of artists. Um, all throughout the industry. And it kind of started as uh, something that I wanted to do that was, it would allow me to kind of work with other artists um, externally, especially people in different countries that I hadn't had a chance to work with that I know that were really good artists. Because I mean, as you know, I'm sure like, it's really difficult to get a work visa to come to a, you know, the United States to work and same with Canada. And so being able to work remotely with a bunch of other studios on different, uh, not studios, different artists on for different projects was something that just had a lot of appeal to me. And so um, that's what decacon kind of filled that need is, is it was able to bridge a bunch of artists together to, to work on different projects from all different kinds of uh, you know walks of life.
0: Sick. That's awesome. I love that's what I love to do. That's cool that you found a business model out of it. That's really cool. Really curious about that because that's really a smart way to do it. Profit sharing and also just using the internet and stuff to kind of bring talent together and then create like super teams, I guess, which is really cool. Yeah,
1: Yeah. exactly. I I feel like that was something that was I, I felt when I was working in the industry, sometimes it would it felt kind of like lacking because you'll work for you work for a company or whatnot, and then if there's no real investment in, in the not only like the project that you're working on, but also if there's no investment from the company in you as an artist contributing to the project, you don't feel as attached overall to the group. Like you you feel kind of disconnected. Yeah. You feel like, you know, and and like you know, in our industry, it's like it's it can be so volatile sometimes with one day you're working on a project and you've just spent all night working and the next day you get laid off. So yeah. you know, you, you wanna you wanna feel invested in the company. And as a company, I wanna I want to feel invested with my art. Artists. And so that was something I, I definitely try to push as much as I can into Decagon so that people feel like like Decagon is a family and a group of artists and much less a, a business model overall.
0: Wow, that's awesome. That sounds really euphoric and or utopian. Really beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is, was there a model that you kind of base this off of or was it all based on influence and things that you've kind of experienced over the years?
1: Yeah, just just mostly things I've in, in, like experienced over the years. Like I, I talked to a lot of different like uh, I have become friends with a lot of different outsource groups or companies over the last few years and I've just understood how their business models worked and just um, understanding about like what they're able to achieve and why they're doing it and I found that uh for the most part all those were really successful and and all those guys were were doing a great job. But I think just the thing I, I felt was lacking was the the sense of camaraderie or yeah. like the the like the uh yeah, the sense that you're all tied together within this and that you all have equal parts, equal share. Mm -hmm. And so that was where I kind of try to figure out the business model that worked best so that the company could sustain itself, but also the artists felt like they were receiving their, their more than fair share of like, you know, whatever they're contributing to each project.
0: Mm, That's super cool. Yeah. Good for you. That's awesome. Hopefully it continues to thrive and sounds like a business model, definitely based in the future, to be honest, you know, i mean it's a like,
1: star trek era yeah well it
0: is it totally is you know the other day it was funny one of my, my friends that you reached out and he was like hey do you know anybody in the la area that can come work at the studio and i was like what are you living in the 80s you know it's like <laughs> i was like making a joke but that's seriously how i feel it's like i mean people to do what we do is it's okay to outsource i mean obviously exactly. we would love to be in the same place as the talent that we work with and the friends that we have but it's also like it's so expensive you have like overhead and all these things so, Do you you guys have a physical location or you just work from home and satellite yeah in and out? Com-
1: completely remote so everyone's uh, remote yeah so like i'm i'm here in vancouver and my my art leads um down in charleston um and then all the other artists are just scattered across the world we have guys in russia china um japan uh you know uh india just like pretty much everywhere across the globe i think we're at we're at about 200 artists right now that contribute to different projects. So it's it's gotten pretty big from where it first started about a year and a half, two years ago. Sure. And so uh, I think, yeah, it's, it's it's just continuing to grow, which is it's really great.
0: Smart, man. That's awesome. That's definitely a, a business of the future. And that's my opinion. And that's something that I've been really thinking about and considering too, because when I first started out, it was like um, you'd have like a physical studio and you would have people on payroll and all these things, which is fine. But I feel like that creates a lot of like... Um, there's a lot of things that I think happen from that situation that aren't really healthy for the art itself, which is like complacency and um, begrudged, like people that are kind of, they create there's a lot of grudging happening and stuff. It's, I don't know. It's just, there's weird things that happen inside of workplaces. If you've worked at an office and you're listening to this, you know exactly what we're talking about.
1: For sure. But, yeah. There's, there's always some kind of like uh, either, either red tape to cut through when it comes to like this, the bureaucracy of like yeah. the, the structure overall, or there's some kind of like discrepancy between what one person is doing to the other. And it, it becomes very visible when you're sitting right next to them overall. Yeah. And so I think those kind of things, can have a detriment to the overall, uh, morality of people in general. And so I think, I think when you're kind of like, you have to, you have to comfort your own home, your own computer, and you're doing what you love and, you know, doing it because you're interested in the project and, you know, the team that you're on. I think it's, you're removed less from the bureaucracy of like, The workspace and more just involved in your art form overall.
0: Yeah. And you open up your doors to the world, which is really smart as a business, because then you can hire and work with anybody at that point. Exactly. And it's smart because there are so many talented people all around the world, not just in one isolated spot, because it used to be like, oh, you just if you wanted to work in movies, you had to work in Hollywood. It's like that's Mm -hmm. not the case anymore. And since Hollywood is living in almost in the shadow of things like Netflix and Amazon, it's like it's really changed, you know, so the 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 whole industry itself is shifting and pivoting quite a bit you use a lot of different programs, um, from what I can see. And so do I, is there, is there a particular set of programs that you really love or you really enjoy? I think I know what they are, but I'm just curious to see what you see. Sure. Yeah. So
1: I use, I use Maya. I think that wasn't necessarily so much. I think that was more from like, that was what I was taught in school. And that's what I just continue to, to, you know, develop and learn. Um, I know a lot of people are really getting into blender right now. I know that's like the, the new hot topic. Yeah. Um, and I, I haven't tried it quite myself, but, um, I definitely would be interested to try. I'm not like, I'm not like completely attached to Maya, but that's that's definitely my primary uh, you know uh, software of choice. Yeah, modeling modeling. UVing and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And then like sculpting for like ZBrush, obviously, like that's a big one. And then um, I used to be uh, really into um, Quixel, but I feel like they haven't really supported the the set for texturing as much. So I still use uh, Indu for Quixel and stuff, and I still use MegaScans for the most part. But I don't use D uh, do as much as I used to. I use, I now I use more of um, substance painter yeah. and um, I use uh Nald a little bit, which is a, a little plug in for like yeah, capturing neural that. maps. stuff like that.
0: Yeah.
1: And then I'm trying to think what else. Uh, and then still traditional Photoshop. Like I, I still, I'm still the guy that like, if I, if I don't like what I'm getting in substance painter, I'll just, I know how to quickly do it in Photoshop. So I'll just do it in Photoshop at the end as like a, a final last piece to get sure. it where I need it to be. Um, and I find that, knowing kind of a full gambit of of software packages is really good because it it kind of allows you to to use the best parts of each software package and yep. some people will get really like caught up on the whole idea it's like oh i don't want to leave this one package and go to another and stuff like that and i, I kind of just use whatever best suits the situation for myself honestly
0: that's smart everybody that i know that's a boss with this stuff does that exact thing they're not like oh i'm just married to this i have to do this. no they're like uh, they actually use almost all the same same programs aside from like usually the people I know end up using maybe Cinema 4D because that's kind of what we use mm-hmm. in the motion graphics industry. And then we kind of go off and use it for other things. But yeah, and I found that Substance Painter was a lot of fun. Quixel, are not, I mean, Megascans Bridge and Megascans Mixer is like one of my favorite programs yes, to use. Yes, very cool. It's, I love programs that you can just get in there do a little bit of minimal work and get like good results and you're out. You know, that's mm-hmm. like my favorite. I also use like Lightroom when I finish my renders and stuff because I found I use a Visco V S C O. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great because it adds such a uniqueness to like even when I render things, if I want to emulate like an old film grain, I'll use that and then I'll make my own LUTs from that. And then so again, it's like there's so many different steps and it kind of sucks that you have to use all those steps. One time I wrote out a whole pa- a path basically a pipeline path when I was working on a, a film with uh, my friend Anthony and my other friends working on his film Come True and we had I wrote down the pipeline and it was ridiculous it was like tw- like 15 steps with different like different <laughs> programs you know like yeah, yeah. we got to go here and we got to go 3D code for this and we got to go back to ZBrush to decimate, and then we got to go to this for that and then we got to do texture for this and it's crazy but once you find the pipeline and and, and find what works and it goes there I'm really excited for games, but I'm really concerned to just like me just going in like full stupid style and just like throwing everything (laughs) at it and breaking it and getting frustrated. So um, is there if I took your course, for example, would it be a good course for somebody that doesn't know anything about game stuff or is there a course that you suggest I take prior just to like, as a prerequisite.
1: Sure. I think, I think uh, as a prerequisite in general, most, most of the time I suggest to students they should know at at least how to bake a normal map. Uh, They should have done at least one low poly asset in their lives and then maybe have uh, understand the general process of like creating a tileable texture. But for the most part, that's it. Like I I try to keep it really, um, really like open to any kind of student that's coming in, like even with a really barrel understanding of just like what they're doing. And I've had students that come in that, basically have never opened a game engine before that will like produce amazing work and i've had students that come in that have used unreal for four engines and they still just don't get it like it's just like a a pretty wide gambit of like any kind of student coming in it's just like it's just how much you want to learn in the process because any good any good class the most you're going to learn is on your own outside of the class because it's it's what I like teaching is, is like the understanding of why we're going about this process or what, why we're doing what we're doing. And then it's, it's upon the student or, you know, whatever the learner is to basically take it upon themselves to then take that understanding or that, uh, fundamental knowledge and then to push themselves to, to actually implement it in their workflow and their pipeline.
0: Sick. Totally agree. I guess that's probably good. Then I could probably just watch a couple YouTube videos on those things because I've baked normals. I, I haven't gotten to low poly modeling much, but I can, that's not hard because I could just watch that on YouTube. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, so much of it is on YouTube and then I could have good prerequisites so I can get ready to go. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's crazy how much
1: is on YouTube now for sure.
0: Yeah. But it's also like, there's so much value. in like, if I were to take something, if I wanted to learn, like, if I see your work, it's best to learn from the source and I would probably get so many great insights that would help me evolve faster. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, I, you know, we talk about this a lot on the podcast and just in general conversations with my friends is we just all want to ultimately just be the master and commander of our creative mind, you know, and be Mm -hmm. able to share the ideas that live within our minds and get them out there. Where are you going to be in five years?
1: Oh man, it's, that's hard to say. So I don't, I honestly don't know. Like, I think, I think right now, I think I want to continue to definitely push Decagon in a, in a more, I guess like wider path to, you know, continue to do more, more larger scale projects. And so I think a lot of the projects we've done thus far have been really great. And I think now that we're getting more and more infrastructure built into like how we go about uh, working with clients and working with projects, I think as that kind of grows and as our team kind of grows leadership wise, I think that's going to definitely promote more and more uh, stability and more growth within the company overall. And so, I, I really, I really enjoy making art, but I also really enjoy just like, um, encouraging other artists to be successful as well. And so it's what I, that's what I like about the companies is that it's like a delicate blend between the two where I'm still making art, um, along with everyone else. But I also like the ability to just like give those artists that are like, you know, crying out for like more and more content to be able to make and more and more, uh, projects to be able to be involved in, you know, the opportunity to do that and to really show, uh, I guess the prowessness of like their ability overall. Mm super cool man that's
0: awesome is there a dream project that you can you think of that you would stop everything to go work on or uh, if a director called you up and said i need to help with something would you cancel everything and just shove off to that or
1: yeah i I mean honestly it was gears of war like that that was like the game i would always wanted to work on since since i've been young like it's 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 just like a a really fun game because i just like the um i like the influence of just like like hundreds of different styles of architecture built into like this futuristic style, you know, um, like post-apocalyptic city and just like the overall feeling of the game, like environment wise. Um, and so when I had that opportunity, I like, I immediately hopped at it. Like I told my wife, I was like, look, it's less pay and it's really far away. And <laughs> it's all these other things. And she was like, are you sure you want to do this? And I was like, yes, I definitely want to do this. Hmm. And so I think that's that's really what um, pushed me to, to, to move up here and to, to try something new. And I'm, I, I look back and I'm, I'm thankful every day that I did.
0: Did you I imagine you probably learned a lot while you were there then, too? Huh?
1: Definitely. Yeah. Like there's so many there's, there's so many clever people and really intelligent people at the coalition um, here in Vancouver. And um, I think just in general, like there's there's people from all over the industry that had worked in so many games. Um, and I think the just when you're working in a something that you get from different type of studios, like. When I've worked in smaller studios, what I really like is the feeling that you have, you know, right, like right now when I'm working with Midwinter, I really like the feeling that you're, you're closer with everyone, it's more of like a family, um, you have a firm understanding of all parts of the project, you, you kind of see when anything changes, you know, basically every day when something new happens, I like those aspects. Um, but what I also miss sometimes that I really liked about working at Microsoft and Bethesda and larger companies is that there's so many people at those companies with so much knowledge. and. Those companies usually promote so much like knowledge sharing and like um, artistic um, influence from each other, and just like uh, different talks and different like you know mm-hmm. seminars and all sorts of different things that that's promoted to just increase your ability or understanding as an artist. Like it's definitely made me try things that I wouldn't necessarily try. Like I tried, I tried more Houdini stuff at Microsoft. I tried different things like just different software packages or different ways of going about things that I I probably wouldn't normally uh, thought about attempting because when you're working in a smaller studio you have to be a little bit more agile and quick to, you know, get to a final result where the bigger studio, there's more time to kind of like think about the process of what you're doing and kind of key into really nailing that what you're after
0: that's awesome yeah you're getting me inspired to think about possibly going and doing like a sabbatical and working at a company for like half a year or something just so i can get fresh blood yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just wish they sure. were closer and yeah yeah <laughs> I
1: definitely yeah and that's that's the other big thing too is like like i love working with decagon and i love working remotely but there are times where i i do miss like the the feeling of like camaraderie and like and like just like being really hands-on with other artists to like learn their process as well as them learning mine. And so I think I think this goes to show like that there's pros and cons to every type of like work method that you could possibly, you know, have overall.
0: Sure. Yeah, I think it's good mix to to kind of I guess the unfortunate thing about being an artist at high level if you want to be is like you're always in a state of discomfort. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which definitely. Is, which is it's just kind of a bummer, but that's just kind of how it goes unfortunately, but yeah. Um, but that's, that's cool though. That's awesome. I know you probably have to get going. I think you said you had to go teach a class or something. So I don't want to keep you too long. Um, is there something that you could give to your, your past self or younger self that would help influence your decision making to get you to where you are here and now a little bit faster or some decis- um, some choices that you could have made a little better?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. I think, I think one of the biggest thing is to, to, probably to know your self-worth and like to know the value of your like what you're able to do like a lot of times students will come out and I've heard them like they'll say they're like really like either negative things about themselves or their work or they'll value themselves really low when it comes to like you know trying to get their first job and I understand the whole like thought and ideology behind like trying to be affordable so that a studio finds you more desirable or a job finds you more desirable. But I just think not only just monetarily, but just in general, like your self-worth when it comes to the work that you do, like always like, like you were talking about the ego a little bit a while ago. I, I think it's really important to have a, a little bit of the ego and a, a fine balance of it because it, it makes you, it makes you not only proud of what you do, but it also makes you confident when you're talking to others about what you do. And I feel like that confidence goes a long way. In, and sometimes it and honestly leads into the whole, like fake it till you make it. Because like, you might not know everything about the process that you're doing or what you're doing on an everyday basis when it comes to art, but having enough confidence to either say like, I'm going to try to figure it out or I, I will figure it out by the end of this like pipeline process or whatever I'm doing, it really will will go a long way for not only your self-confidence, but just like your motivation to succeed and just like your, your overall drive as an artist for sure. Okay. That's awesome.
0: No, I, that's, that's great to hear too. It's always a fine line, you know, cause I was reading this book called Ego is the Enemy, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there was like, it was basically trying to say like all the decisions and things that he's made in his life that were bad came from like you know, impulses from his ego, which is like, oh man, because sometimes I agree too. Sometimes in order to have self-worth, you must have uh, an identity of ego, you know, and be connected to what your ego is as well. But it also can be very, um, you know, like a perfect example or scenario is somebody that actually isn't good, but their confidence is very high. It's like, well, we're definitely, you know, then then they just are kind of going to be stuck there because they're not going to take influence or, Um, notes from people you know and it's going to be harder for them to basically um, be to be influenced properly and to actually learn and grow which is kind of also a a challenge too so it's such a a fine line you know I almost like when I meet a student uh, like a student that kind of has or myself too that's a little self-deprecating that's like okay well and then but it's like then that can be too defeating to your point you know which I agree as well because then if you're always just saying you suck, then it's like, okay, well that's kinda, <laughs> that's kind of dangerous because then if you say that people will believe it, I think there's a way of saying it in a way that's not like, I always have a problem when some, I meet a stranger or somebody and they ask me what I do. I, I just like, Oh, I just make stuff. You know, my, when, if my wife's around, <laughs> she's like, God, stop it. Like and she'll say, well, he's really humble. He does all these things. And then she kind of manages to do it for me. But um, I don't know if it's right or wrong. It's just, I know it's, something that there's a, there's a thin line obviously. Right. And it's all about a balance and balancing things out. So,
1: yeah, I think one of the old sayings that's, that's always like really good to remember is there's always someone better than you, you know, like, yes, it's such a, it's such a simple saying, but it's like, some people forget it. Sometimes it's like, Oh, I want to be the best. And it's like, it doesn't matter what you do. There's always going to be someone better than you. So always be open-minded to like learning from other artists or like other processes or other ways about going something, because no matter what, there's always going to be a, a slightly better process or slightly better way about doing any one thing that you're doing right now currently that you're really confident about what you do.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, man. Brilliant. I love it. Thank you so much. I really I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to possibly towards the end of the year hopefully being one of your students cuz I'd really love yeah, to definitely. learn from you and and I'm looking forward to continuing our conversations on being a nerd. So <laughs> <laughs> All right. There it is, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Big thanks to Clinton for coming on the show and sharing his time with us this week. You can find notes for the show notes and all that good information at thecollectivepodcast.com slash 203. Um, You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter and iTunes podcast page, all that good stuff. If you have questions or inquiries, just reach out to us on the website. You guys have an amazing day. You know the drill, go out there, be powerful, be prolific. Peace out, everybody.